will please open your Bible, the book of Ruth, chapter number three. Ruth, chapter number three. Good to be in the services. You do pray and bless, mind the Lord, have his, let God have his way. And Brother Ricky did not hear me. Pastor Gravely, I should call him, but I told him, I said, if more than $400 comes in, I get it. <laughs> so just keep bringing the offering. Amen. I appreciate all that the Lord's done. Thank God for these two wonderful messages we've already heard. I appreciate the message by Brother Jones and what a needed message that is. And then Brother Mike's trying to get us all straightened up. And a good message. I praise the Lord for that. Thank God for his goodness. Good to be back in the Jubilee. And let's pray the Lord will bless and have his way. And God's will will be done. You let God speak to your heart. Can I say this? Can I say this? And I know we're rushed. But can I say this? Take time for God to talk to you. Don't rush through the week just busy with everybody else and everything else. And I know we got a lot going on. But I'm telling you, take time for God. Let God speak. And the Lord do what he wants to do in your life during these days. Only the judgment seat of Christ could reveal what God has done in this jubilee for these 21 or two years. However long you've been having it. But today's another day. And God wants to do something special in our lives you pray for God's will to be done. I want to make this statement. I hope I will not be misunderstood to make this statement. I really believe it's true for every man of God that preaches in this meeting or anywhere else. I believe we ought to feel like that our message, not our message, God's message, is one of the most important messages of the week. I ought to preach like I feel like I have got the message for the entire week. Now, I'm no better than nobody else. I'm not seeking any glory. This thing of preaching is not playing games. And I'm not accusing anybody when I say that. I'm just simply saying I want you to get what God wants to say. Talking about the time, I'm going to preach about 15 minutes. But it's 20-minute introduction, 20-minute closing that kills the 15-minute message, all right? <laughs> Ruth chapter number 3, verse number 1. The Bible said, let me turn the page. The Bible said, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughters, I shall, uh, my daughter, Shall not I seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And that was not, and now is not Boaz of the kindred whose maidens thou was with. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Look at verse 4. The Bible said, And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou should do. Keep your Bible open. It's our heads and hearts for a moment of prayer. Then the message from the Word of God for this evening, this morning. Uh, our precious Heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, today at the throne of grace and mercy, in Jesus' name, I bow before you to pray. Father, I do want to say thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege that I've had to be born in America, to hear the gospel, to be saved by the grace of God, called to preach, put in the ministry, kept there, and blessed of God as I am and as we are. Thank you, our Father, for the service already today. 
And I pray, dear Lord God, that you will progress this meeting, that it might be all that you want it to be before the services ends on Thursday night. Touch every message, every song, each individual life. Do that, oh God, that needs to be done. Father, I pray you help me now to help your people. Lord, I feel like in this meeting today, already, and throughout the week, there will be people in these services that would really like to know what to do. And I pray the Lord you'll help them to learn the place to find it is laying at his feet. Do what you wanted to do, what needs to be done to the glory of Christ. We'll praise you for all that you do because I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Do keep your Bible open, please, for the message from the Word of God today. I have had the wonderful privilege for several months now, almost a year, if I can make the statement this way, of just splashing around in the waters of the book of Ruth. It's a fun place to be in the book of Ruth. It's a blessed place to be. And just get in the water and splash. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, you can get out there water and swim in if you want to, but just relax and let God do something in your heart from this precious book. Now, I, I want to take several moments in the introduction. Sure enough, I will be brief in the message this morning. The book of Ruth is a story, are you ready me to say this, of a God Almighty seeing a sinner under the judgment and curse of God down in a cursed land without Christ, without hope, without help, hell bound and no hope. But can I tell you something? The God of this Bible has dealt with mankind all these years by seeking out those hopeless, helpless, hell-bound sinners. You remember whenever God started the work of humanity, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they sinned and God could have wiped them out. But he didn't do it. He looked beyond their fault and he saw their need. They had nobody else to sin. So God became the first missionary and goes to the Garden of Eden for two people. Now I want you to think, I'm not a Calvinist by no means. Don't let that enter your mind. But God looks down into Moab. You know the story of Moab? The country of a curse. She was born under a curse. No hope for her. But God saw a little more about this woman by the name of Ruth. And God, can I say it this way, began a journey to Moab. And that God still comes where sinners are and brings him a message of hope and salvation. When you come to chapter number one, we find Ruth, first of all, she is living there in the land of Moab, but we find her at the close of the chapter, she's leaving there as a widow. Now, I'm gonna make a statement. I hope I'll not lose you on this. It's not always fun serving God. It's not always easy serving God. Can I just say this and you'll catch what I'm saying? It cost Christ his life for you and I to be saved. And the pages of history are stained with blood of men that have been martyred, that have suffered, that have died 
the prison floors are stained with people you and I know nothing about, but God, hallelujah, brought us to the place that we're at today, not by just shouting it out, but sufferings have been a part of the work of God going after sinners. In this chapter, God begins to make his move. I know, I know there's a lot of typology. I know that. I preach that. I'm not dealing with it now. But I remind you, boy, the Holy Ghost smoked my heart with this. This is not the book of Boaz. This is not the book of Naomi. I didn't make that choice. God did. So God, are you with me if I lost you? God wants to, <laughs> whoa, God wants to go after that one Gentile woman, that more pious woman, but he needs some help. God could save the whole world by himself, but he won't do it. God makes a divine choice. There's that Godward part that man cannot do. There's that man's part that God will not do. So as God begins his progression, mercy and grace developing a drama here in the life of Ruth and mercy and grace making a move. Three things I want you to notice first of all in chapter number one, and I'll spend more time on this than I do the other. In chapter number one, I want you to notice the family that God used. God still uses families. We don't like this in the day of an easy Christian life, but it still costs sometimes the supreme sacrifice for God to accomplish his will with our life. The family, you know the story. Well, it's not a, it's a place of God's judgment. They're living there, Bethlehem, Judah, and God chooses to move Naomi and Elimelech to another place in the earth. Amen. Can I just say this? I'm not concerned on any typology. I preach it myself. But you don't find in this Bible where God rebuked Naomi and Elimelech for going to Moab. She did. She made a big complaint about it and thought she's a failure. Chapter one, she found out better in chapter four. But God uses a family. A family. It might be God wants to use your family reaching sinners with the gospel. But not only God uses a family, but God uses a famine. In my study of the word of God, I learned God uses a famine to, to punish people. God uses a famine to prove himself. And God uses famines to place people. Many preachers are in the place of service today where they're at because they sat by their brook until the brook dried up and God sent a famine and drove them other places. So we see not only God uses the family, God uses a famine, but we see also the funerals that God uses. We don't like to think this, but God is a giver of life. God is the one that's in control. And God lets Elimelech die. 
I don't know what killed him. You don't either, don't think. God lets both her boys die. Say, preacher, that don't sound fair. When you see God's purpose are going after that little more by this woman, the price that was paid for me and you is far more. If God works toward Ruth in grace through the family, the famine, the funeral, but then God starts working in grace, in Ruth, by grace. You see, God, only God, can start a work inside a depraved sinner's heart. None of us can take any glory of the fact that we came to Christ and we got saved, quote, unquote. The songwriter said, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking rising more, but Thank God, the holy God of heaven butts in to a sinner's life. God goes down and through, no doubt, the life of Naomi and possibly Elimelech and her two sons, her two sons, God starts something in the heart of that heathen woman. Just like he did you and I, he used somebody in our life. God starts something in her life. So, as the time comes, there comes that time where God brings everything together to this point, and there is a call that starts ringing for Orpah and for Ruth. And may I say, both of them. Both of them. That knocks Hyper Calvinist plum out of the ballpark. But I'm telling you, Boaz redeemed both the properties. Come on, give me an amen. But there's a call comes ringing or the restless way. You know what that call is? Twofold. There's a call from the God of the Moabites. The name is Chemos, Chemos. You know what it's saying? Come back. Come back. Stay here. Don't go. Wish I could run again. But I'm telling you, there's another call comes ringing. It's not the God of the Moabites. It's the God of the Israelites. You know what it's saying? Come on, come on, come on, come on. And the grace of God working in their lives was the winning factor. And so God works toward Ruth in grace and God works in Ruth in grace. There's a call that I want you to notice. There's a choice. Orpah makes her choice. Can I say it? Her choice. She willingly chose to go back to the lifestyle of Moab. Can I get an amen? But Ruth makes her choice. Because of the grace of God working in her, she gets sick and tired of that life of sin. And then she makes that journey. I like this. It's an hour of preaching. I'll let Brother Brown have it and preach it later. But she chose a new path for her feet. Whether thou goest, I will go. She chose a new place for her family. 
Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. She chose a new people for her fellowship. Thy people shall be my people. She chose a new person for her faith. My, thy God, my God. And she chose a new place for her future. Where thou livest, I will live. And where thou diest, I will die. Now, I want you to hear me. God in his mercy brings us to the point of choice. But we are totally responsible for what we're going to do with that choice. We can go back to the old lifestyle and it's like Naomi or Ruth, let me get it right, Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye and walks off the pages of the scripture, off the stage of action and walks off into oblivion and goes to hell with the rest of the world and is never seen again. But not Ruth. But not Ruth. Ruth, following the working of the grace of God in her, makes that statement, I'm going to go. Weren't you glad for the day in your life when you decided, I think I'll just go with God. Now, number two, chapter number two, you not only see God working toward Ruth, but you see in chapter number two, God working for Ruth. God always works toward us first. Then he works in us, and then he starts working for us. Again, just the outlines all I'm going to give you. But in chapter number two, first appearance of Ruth, he addresses her as a damsel in the field. May I use a language we understand? Just another woman. Who's that other woman over there? Who's that other person over there? They told him about who it was. And he changes his address from a damsel in the field to a daughter in the family. And as she responds to that grace of God, he changes the third time. Not only she's a damsel in the field and she's a daughter in the family, but she becomes a diner at the feeding. And she who was a reject now is able to sit at the table and eat and he passes her personally parched bread. Chapter one is a family scene. Chapter two is a field scene. But chapter number three, I want to give you this thought now. That's the introduction. Chapter three is a floor scene. I had a hard time dealing with this for several years. I saw this a few years back. I couldn't, there's two things that bothered me. I couldn't really put this floor scene in its place. And then I got thinking, you know, we always have been taught, brother, worship comes before work. Can I tell you something? A newborn baby can go to work for God. But most newborn Christians don't know how to really worship God. Don't take out offensive. Worship, worship is something you grow into. It's a tragedy, but most of the time we get old before we ever really learn how to worship. But now then, she comes to the floor. Naomi tells her, you go down there and lay at his feet. He'll tell you what to do. Brother Gravely, I don't want any fame. I don't mean that at all. Boy, I pray for these last few days that God would let this be a thought that would lodge in the heart of several people in this meeting. Amen. You don't know what to do? Go lay down at his feet. Go lay down at his feet. 
Go lay down at his feet. He'll tell you what to do. Boy, since I've learned this truth, I've just been practicing it and enjoying it. That's when you don't want to just lay down his feet and he'll tell you what to do. But I want to show you something, three things, and I'll be through, three or four more things I'll be through. I want to show you this in the Word of God if I can find these, all the notes i got up here. But she comes and lays down at his feet. You know the story. They lay at midnight. She stirs, and he becomes aware of the fact she's there. When he woke her up, when she woke him up, rather, Boaz looks at Ruth, and he sees some things. Oh, what will God see when he looks at us? Laying at his feet. And she lay at his feet. First of all, he saw her distress. She's a hurting woman. She saw, he saw her burden. He saw her brokenness. He saw her barrenness. I want to tell you something. Regardless of what you're going through with, you lay around the feet of Jesus Christ and God will see your distress. He's a compassionate God, a loving God, a caring God, a comforting God. But not only he sees her distress, but secondly she lays there, he sees her devotion. He sees the timing. The guilt, the conviction worked in my own heart as I looked at this timing. She lay at his feet all night. Now, Brother Jones, and I'm using you because we're about the same age and there are other older preachers in here as well. But one of the missing things we're hearing in the ministry of our day, Brother Dorsey, we used to have them all night prayer meetings. Even individuals get in a study and stay with God all night long. I want to tell you something. You can't hang around the God of the throne without the throne. You can't hang around the throne of God without the God of the throne gets hanging around you. God will get off on you if you hang around him. But he sees her time. First of all, Baptist, he saw she gave up her sleeping time. He saw she gave up her social time. While others were out doing other things in society, Ruth is laying at his feet. Then he saw she gave up not only her sleeping time, her social time, but she gave up her self time. Now I kind of tell you how I am and don't tie me on this, but there's a certain time at night when the lights go out and I go to bed. Don't you call me later just to find out what I'm doing. Somebody asked me if I slept well. I told them I didn't know I was asleep. How do you know if you sleep well or not if you sleep? That's true. Amen. But we're, we're our sleeping time, our social time, our self time. But she gave it up. An older preacher who's been in heaven for a number of years said to my pastor, Brother Allen, Brother Allen asked him as a young preacher, Brother Joe, what's the secret? And Brother Joe said, he called my pastor then as a young man, he called him Sammy. You don't do it disrespectful now. I'm doing, I, don't, I don't call him that, but he, he, he's calling him Sam. He said, Sam, spend more time with him than you do them. But I want you to know something else. He not only saw their timing, 
but he saw her testimony. She lying at his feet was a testimony of her humbling herself. She lying at his feet was a testimony of her honoring him. She lying at his feet was a testimony of her hungering for him. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not only he sees something, but lying at his feet, we see that he sees her desire. She sees, he sees her love for him. He sees her longing for him. He sees her living with him in her imagination. And she sees, he sees all this going on in her life. Let me give you this last two thoughts real quickly. Not only she saw something, he saw something, but he said something. He still talks when we got time to lay him missing. Can I just summarize and tell you what he told her, what he said to her? Just lay down and go to sleep. I'll take care of it in the morning. Just lay down and go to sleep. I'll take care of the morning. Can I tell you from the experience of all these years of preaching, there's nothing like it. When the God of glory comes down in your distress and said, go to sleep, I'll take care of it. But then lastly, not only did he see something, not only did he say something, but he shared something. She gets up the next morning, gets ready to leave, and she's got her veil and everything ready. And boy, I said, wait a minute. Come here. Come here. Ain't no woman going to let my feet all night and leave empty-handed. That's right. Not good English, but it's good preaching. Ain't nobody going to let my feet all night and leave empty-handed. Amen. You know what he did? He measured her out six measures. You think about this, preacher. She worked in chapter two in the field. Now, I'm not minimizing labor. She labored in chapter two in the field, and they're kicking off those handfuls of purpose, which means she would have had a superabundant gathering of that day. Is that right? She beats it out, goes into the city, and you know what she's got? One epa. She lays at his feet all night and he gives her six measures. We have a commentary that I can find anything on says basically nothing about those six measures but most of them do indicate they believe it's the same thing as the epa. I'm not minimizing work. Please don't let that enter your mind. Labor for God. Labor for him. I'm telling you, when we labor without laying, we're missing something. We're missing something. We're missing something. Brother Gravely, I'm not putting this above anything anybody else has said or will say, but I hope somewhere across this congregation through this week, God will put a hunger in your heart for some answers to tell you what to do. If he will, you lay at his feet. God will tell you what to do. Let's stand together with heads bowed, please.
we're actually a few minutes ahead of the 12.30 schedule for lunch, so you've got time to come and pray. You've got time to come and pray. If we, we're running late, there's time to pray. But you need something from God. You need some answers from God. Those things that have troubled you and bothered you, thank God for pastors you can go to and talk to. Thank God for men of God. But you go to that man of God and he gives you his heart. I'm not minimizing the man of God doing that. But it still leaves an unanswered question.